Chapter Three of Whose Body by Dorothy Sayers. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recorded by Kirsten Weber. Chapter Three. Lord Peter finished a Scarlatti sonata and sat looking thoughtfully at his own hands. The fingers were long and muscular, with wide, flat joints and square tips. When he was playing, his rather hard grey eyes softened, and his long, indeterminate mouth hardened in compensation. At no other time had he any pretensions to good looks, and at all times he was spoilt by a long, narrow chin, and a long, receding forehead, accentuated by the brushed-back sleekness of his tow-coloured hair. Labour papers, softening down the chin, caricatured him as a typical aristocrat. "'That's a wonderful instrument,' said Parker. "'It ain't so bad,' said Lord Peter. "'But Scarlatti wants a harpsichord. Piano's too modern. All thrills and overtones. No good for our job, Parker. Have you come to any conclusion?' "'The man in the bath,' said Parker, methodically, was not a well-off man careful of his personal appearance he was a laboring man unemployed but who had only recently lost his employment he had been tramping about looking for a job when he met with his end somebody killed him and washed him and scented him and shaved him in order to disguise him and put him into thipps's bath without leaving a trace conclusion the murderer was a powerful man, since he killed him with a single blow on the neck, a man of cool head and masterly intellect, since he did all that ghastly business without leaving a mark, a man of wealth and refinement, since he had all the apparatus of an elegant toilet handy, and a man of bizarre and almost perverted imagination, as is shown in the two horrible touches of putting the body in the bath, and of adorning it with a pair of pince-nez. "'He is a poet of crime,' said Whimsy. "'By the way, your difficulty about the pince-nez is cleared up. Obviously the pince-nez never belonged to the body.' "'That only makes a fresh puzzle. One can't suppose the murderer left them in that obliging manner as a clue to his own identity.' "'We can hardly suppose that. I'm afraid this man possessed what most criminals lack, a sense of humour. "'Rather macabre humour.' "'True, but a man who can afford to be humorous at all in such circumstances is a terrible fellow. "'I wonder what he did with the body between the murder and depositing it Shay Phipps. "'Then there are more questions. How did he get it there, and why?' Was it brought in at the door, as Sugabar Hart suggests, or through the window, as we think on the not very adequate testimony of a smudge on the window-sill? Had the murderer accomplices? Is little Thipps really in it, or the girl? It don't do to put the notion out of court merely because Sug inclines to it. Even idiots occasionally speak the truth, accidentally. If not, why was Thipps selected for such an abominable practical joke? Has anybody got a grudge against Thipps? Who are the people in the other flats? We must find that out. 
does thipps play the piano at midnight over their heads or damage the reputation of the staircase by bringing home dubiously respectable ladies are there unsuccessful architects thirsting for his blood damn it all parker there must be a motive somewhere can't have a crime without a motive you know mm, a madman suggested parker doubtfully with a deuced lot of method in his madness he hasn't made a mistake not one unless leaving hairs in the corpse's mouth can be called a mistake well anyhow it's not levy you're right there i say old thing neither your man nor mine has left much clue to go upon has he and there don't seem to be any motives knocking about either and we seem to be two suits of clothes short in last night's work sir reuben makes tracks without so much as a fig-leaf and a mysterious individual turns up with a pince-nez which is quite useless for purposes of decency dash it all if only i had some good excuse for taking up this body case officially the telephone bell rang the silent bunter whom the other two had almost forgotten padded across to it it's an elderly lady my lord he said i think she's deaf i can't make her hear anything but she's asking for your lordship lord peter seized the receiver and yelled into it a hullo that might have cracked the vulcanite he listened for some minutes with an incredulous smile which gradually broadened into a grin of delight at length he screamed all right all right several times and rang off by jove he announced beaming sportin old bird it's old mrs thipps deaf as a post never used the phone before but determined perfect napoleon the incomparable sug has made a discovery and arrested little thipps old lady abandoned in the flat thipps's last shriek to her tell lord peter whimsey old girl undaunted wrestles with telephone book wakes up the people at the exchange won't take no for an answer not being able to hear it gets through says will i do what i can says she would feel safe in the hands of a real gentleman oh parker parker i could kiss her i really could as thipps says i'll write to her instead no hang it parker we'll go round bunter get your infernal machine and the magnesium i say we'll go into partnership pull the two cases and work em out together you shall see my body to-night parker and i'll look for your wandering jew to-morrow i feel so happy i shall explode oh sug sug how art thou sugified bunter my shoes i say parker i suppose yours are rubber-soled not tut tut you mustn't go out like that we'll lend you a pair gloves here my stick my torch the lamp-black the forceps knife pill-box all complete certainly my lord oh bunter don't look so offended i mean no harm i believe in you i trust you what money have i got that'll do i knew a man once parker who let a world-famous poisoner slip through his fingers because the machine on the underground took nothing but pennies there was a queue at the booking office and the man at the barrier stopped him and while they were arguing about accepting a five-pound note which was all he had for a tuppenny ride to baker street 
the criminal had sprung into a circle train and was next heard of in constantinople disguised as an elderly church of england clergyman touring with his niece are we all ready go they stepped out bunter carefully switching off the lights behind them as they emerged into the gloom and gleam of piccadilly whimsy stopped short with a little exclamation wait a second he said i've thought of something if sugg's there he'll make trouble i must short-circuit him he ran back the other two men employed the few minutes of his absence in capturing a taxi inspector sugg and a subordinate cerberus were on guard at fifty-nine queen caroline mansions and showed no disposition to admit unofficial inquirers parker indeed they could not easily turn away but lord peter found himself confronted with a surly manner and what lord beaconsfield described as a masterly inactivity it was in vain that lord peter pleaded that he had been retained by mrs thipps on behalf of her son retained said inspector sugg with a snort she'll be retained if she doesn't look out shouldn't wonder if she wasn't in it herself only she's so deaf she's no good for anything at all look here inspector said lord peter what's the use of being so bally obstructive you'd much better let me in you know i'll get there in the end dash it all it's not as if i was taking the bread out of your children's mouths nobody paid me for finding lord attenbury's emeralds for you it's my duty to keep out the public said inspector sugg morosely and it's going to stay out i never said anything about your keeping out of the public said lord peter easily sitting down on the staircase to thrash the matter out comfortably though i've no doubt pussyfoot's a good thing on principle if not exaggerated the golden mean sugg as aristotle says keeps you from being a golden ass ever been a golden ass sugg i have it would take a whole rose garden to cure me sugg you are my garden of beautiful roses my own rose my one rose that's you i'm not going to stay any longer talking to you said the harassed sugg it's bad enough hollo drat that telephone here cawthorne go and see what it is if that old catamaran will let you into the room shutting yourself up there and screaming said the inspector it's enough to make a man give up crime and take to hedging and ditching the constable came back it's from the yard sir he said coughing apologetically the chief says uh, every facility is to be given to lord peter whimsey sir um he stood apart non-committally glazing his eyes five aces said lord peter cheerfully the chief's a dear friend of my mother's no go sugg it's no good buckin you've got a full house i'm going to make it a bit fuller he walked in with his followers the body had been removed a few hours previously and when the bathroom and the whole flat had been explored by the naked eye and the camera of the competent bunter it became evident that the real problem of the household was old mrs thipps her son and servant had both been removed and it appeared that they had no friends in town beyond a few business acquaintances of thipps whose very addresses the old lady did not know 
the other flats in the building were occupied, respectively, by a family of seven, at present departed to winter abroad, an elderly Indian colonel of ferocious manners, who lived alone with an Indian manservant, and a highly respectable family on the third floor, whom the disturbance over their heads had outraged to the last degree. The husband, indeed, when appealed to by Lord Peter, showed a little human weakness, but Mrs. Appledore, appearing suddenly in a warm dressing-gown, extricated him from the difficulties into which he was carelessly wandering. "'I am sorry,' she said. "'I'm afraid we can't interfere in any way. This is a very unpleasant business, Mr—I'm afraid I didn't catch your name— and we have always found it better not to be mixed up with the police. Of course, if the Phippses are innocent, and I am sure I hope they are, it is very unfortunate for them, but I must say that the circumstances seem to me most suspicious, and to Theophilus, too, and I should not like to have it said that we had assisted murderers. We might even be supposed to be accessories. Of course, you are young, Mr. "'This is Lord Peter Wimsey, my dear,' said Theophilus, mildly. She was unimpressed. "'Ah, yes,' she said. "'I believe you are distantly related to my late cousin, the Bishop of Carisbrook. Poor man, he was always being taken in by impostors. He died without ever learning any better. I imagine you take after him, Lord Peter.' "'I doubt it,' said Lord Peter.' "'So far as I know, he is only a connection, though it's a wise child that knows its own father. I congratulate you, dear lady, on taking after the other side of the family. You'll forgive my button in upon you like this in the middle of the night, though, as you say, it is all in the family, and I'm sure I'm very much obliged to you, and for permitting me to admire that awfully fetchin' thing you've got on.' "'Now, don't you worry, Mr. Appledore. I'm thinking the best thing I can do is trundle the old lady down to my mother and take her out of your way. Otherwise you might be finding your Christian feelings getting the better of you some fine day, and there's nothing like Christian feelings for upsetting a man's domestic comfort. Good night, sir. Good night, dear lady. It's simply ripping of you to let me drop in like this.' "'Well!' said Mrs. Appledore, as the door closed behind him, and, "'I thank the goodness and the grace that on my birth have smiled,' said Lord Peter, "'and taught me to be bestially impertinent when I choose. Cat!' Two a.m. saw Lord Peter Wimsey arrive in a friend's car at the Dower House, Denver Castle, in company with a deaf and aged lady, and an antique portmanteau. "'It's very nice to see you, dear,' said the dowager duchess placidly. She was a small, plump woman, with perfectly white hair and exquisite hands. In feature she was as unlike her second son as she was like him in character. Her black eyes twinkled cheerfully, and her manners and movements were marked with a neat and rapid decision. She wore a charming wrap from Liberty's, and sat watching Lord Peter eat cold beef and cheese, as though his arrival in such incongruous circumstances and company were the most ordinary event possible, which, with him, indeed, it was. 
"'Have you got the old lady to bed?' asked Lord Peter. "'Oh, yes, dear. Such a striking old person, isn't she? And very courageous. She tells me she has never been in a motor-car before. But she thinks you a very nice lad, dear. That careful of her. You remind her of her own son. Poor little Mr. Thipps. Whatever made your friend the inspector think he could have murdered anybody?' "'My friend, the inspector—no, no more, thank you, mother—is determined to prove that the intrusive person in Thipps's bath is Sir Reuben Levy, who disappeared mysteriously from his house last night. His line of reasoning is, we've lost a middle-aged gentleman without any clothes on in Park Lane, we've found a middle-aged gentleman without any clothes on in Battersea. Therefore, they're one and the same person, Q.E.D., and put little Thipps in quad. "'You're very elliptical, dear,' said the Duchess, mildly. "'Why should Mr. Thipps be arrested, even if they are the same?' "'Sug must arrest somebody,' said Lord Peter. "'But there is one odd little bit of evidence come out which goes a long way to support Sug's theory.' only that I know it to be no go by the evidence of my own eyes. Last night, at about nine-fifteen, a young woman was strolling up the Battersea Park Road, for purposes best known to herself, when she saw a gentleman in a fur coat and a top-hat sauntering along under an umbrella, looking at the names of all the streets. He looked a bit out of place, so not being a shy girl, you see, she walked up to him and said, "'Good evening.' "'Can you tell me, please,' says the mysterious stranger, "'whether this street leads to the Prince of Wales Road?' She said it did, and further asked him in a jocular manner what he was doing with himself and all the rest of it, only she wasn't altogether so explicit about that part of the conversation, because she was unburdening her heart to Sug, you see, and he's paid by a grateful country to have a very pure high-minded ideal what anyway the old boy said he couldn't attend to her just then as he had an appointment i've got to go and see a man my dear was how she said he put it and he walked up alexandra avenue toward prince of wales road she was staring after him still rather surprised when she was joined by a friend of hers who said it's no good wasting your time with him that's levy i knew him when he lived in the west end and the girls used to call him p green incorruptible friend's name suppressed owing to implications of story but girl vouches for what was said she thought no more about it till the milkman brought the news this morning of the excitement at queen caroline mansions then she went round though not liking the police as a rule and asked the man there whether the dead gentleman had a beard and glasses. Told he had glasses but no beard, she incautiously said, Oh, then it isn't him. And the man said, Isn't who? and collared her. That's her story. Suggs delighted, of course, and quadded Thipps on the strength of it. Dear me, said the Duchess, I hope the girl won't get into trouble. "'Shouldn't think so,' said Lord Peter. "'Thipps is the one that's going to get it in the neck. "'Besides, he's done a silly thing. "'I got that out of Sugg, too, "'though he was sitting tight on the information. "'Seems Thipps got into a confusion "'about the train he took back from Manchester. 
said first he got home at ten-thirty. Then they pumped Gladys Horrocks, who let out he wasn't back till after eleven-forty-five. Then Thipps, being asked to explain the discrepancy, stammers and bungles and says first that he missed the train, then Sugg makes enquiries at St. Pancras, and discovers that he left a bag in the cloakroom there at ten-thirty. Thipps, again asked to explain, stammers worse, and says he walked about for a few hours, met a friend, can't say who, didn't meet a friend, can't say what he did with his time, can't explain why he didn't go back for his bag, can't say what time he did get in, can't explain how he got a bruise on his forehead, in fact, can't explain himself at all. Gladys Horrocks interrogated again says this time Thipps came in at ten-thirty, then admits she didn't hear him come in, can't say why she didn't hear him come in, can't say why she said first of all she did hear him, bursts into tears, contradicts herself, everybody's suspicion roused, quad em both. "'As you put it, dear,' said the Duchess, "'it all sounds very confusing and not quite respectable.' Poor little Mr. Thipps would be terribly upset by anything that wasn't respectable. "'I wonder what he did with himself,' said Lord Peter, thoughtfully. "'I really don't think he was committing a murder. Besides, I believe the fellow has been dead a day or two, though it don't do to build too much on doctor's evidence. It's an entertaining little problem.' "'Very curious, dear, but so sad about poor Sir Reuben.' I must write a few lines to Lady Levy. I used to know her quite well, you know, dear, down in Hampshire, when she was a girl. Christine Ford she was then, and I remember so well the dreadful trouble there was about her marrying a Jew. That was before he made his money, of course, in that oil business out in America. The family wanted her to marry Julian Freak, who did so well afterwards, and was connected with the family. But she fell in love with this Mr. Levy, and eloped with him. He was very handsome then, you know, dear, in a foreign-looking way, but he hadn't any means, and the Fords didn't like his religion. Of course, we're old Jews nowadays, and they wouldn't have minded so much if he'd pretended to be something else, like that Mr. Simons we met at Mrs. Porchester's, who always tells everybody that he got his nose in Italy at the Renaissance, and claims to be descended somehow or other from La Bella Simonetta. So foolish, you know, dear, as if anybody believed it. "'and I'm sure some Jews are very good people, "'and personally I'd much rather they believed something, "'though of course it must be very inconvenient, "'what with not working on Saturdays, "'and circumcising the poor little babies, "'and everything depending on the new moon, "'and that funny kind of meat they have "'with such a slang-sounding name, "'and never being able to have bacon for breakfast. "'Still, there it was, "'and it was much better for the girl to marry him "'if she was really fond of him.' though i believe freak was really devoted to her and they're still great friends not that there was ever a real engagement only a sort of understanding with her father but he's never married you know and lives all by himself in that big house next to the hospital though he's very rich and distinguished now and i know ever so many people have tried to get hold of him there was lady mannering wanted him for that eldest girl of hers though i remember saying at the time it was no use expecting a surgeon to be taken in by a figure that was all padding they have so many opportunities of judging you know dear lady levy seems to have had a knack of making people devoted to her said peter 
Look at the pea-green incorruptible Levy. That's quite true, dear. She was a most delightful girl, and they say her daughter is just like her. I rather lost sight of them when she married, and you know your father didn't care much about business people, but I know everybody always said they were a model couple. In fact, it was a proverb that Sir Reuben was as well loved at home as he was hated abroad. I don't mean in foreign countries, you know, dear, just the proverbial way of putting things, like a saint abroad and a devil at home, only the other way on, reminding one of Pilgrim's Progress. Yes, said Peter. I dare say the old man made one or two enemies. Dozens, dear, such a dreadful place the city, isn't it? Everybody ishmiles together, though I don't suppose Sir Reuben would like to be called that, would he? Doesn't it mean illegitimate or not a proper Jew, anyway? I always did get confused with those Old Testament characters. Lord Peter laughed and yawned. I think I'll turn in for an hour or two, he said. I must be back in town at eight, Parker's coming to breakfast. The Duchess looked at the clock, which marked five minutes to three. I'll send up your breakfast at half-past six, dear, she said. I hope you'll find everything all right. I told them just to slip a hot water bottle in. Those linen sheets are so chilly. You can put it out if it's in your way. End of chapter three. Recorded by Kirsten Weber.